family, welcome home tonight. My name is Brittany. I'm on the lead team here at The Ascent. And tonight we are on week five of our series called The Problem of God. And so throughout, the, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. We started back in January. Um, we started with talking about science and faith and how the two relate to each other. And then we went on to talk about the existence of God and how we actually know that God exists. We went on to talk about the reliability of the Bible, and then last week, Zach talked about Jesus and how we know historically Jesus existed as a man, but also came to earth as God and resurrected from the dead. And tonight, we are going to be asking the question, how can a loving and all-powerful God allow evil and suffering to exist? Wow, loaded question. When I first got it, I was actually so excited that I was going to be talking about this tonight. I was telling everyone, like, I can't wait to talk about evil and suffering. And now thinking about it, I don't know why I was excited. I like, I like a challenge, so maybe that's why I like to answer hard questions and really dig deep. But when I actually sat down and after a lot of prayer and studying the Bible and looking at a ton of different resources, I became super stuck. I had no clue what I was going to talk about tonight because I kept thinking, how am I supposed to talk about or give answers to all the evil and the suffering in this world when I haven't experienced half of what I know my community has. You see, I've gone through hard times, I've gone through difficult seasons, but I've never been the victim of someone's other, someone else's brutal acts. I've never lost a close family member or a close friend too soon before their time. I've never woken up every morning for years overcome by depression or anxiety and I've never even spent one day in a hospital bed. I haven't experienced the heartbreaking pain of rejection or loneliness, and, and I haven't really experienced the disappointment of finding my life so far from what I thought it would be. So who am I to stand up here and say that despite all of those things, despite all of the terrible things going on in our world, God still exists, and he is still good and perfectly loving and all-powerful. And honestly, just even standing up here right now, I'm not entirely sure. But as I was praying over this message for the past couple weeks, there was something that I felt like God was continually saying to me. And he was saying that, you know, the problem with pain and evil and suffering is not evil and suffering in itself. Those things are bad, but the true problem of pain is that often what we do is we push away the one person who is actually going to restore us and take away our pain and fight with us through pain. So we must stand firm in the hope that we have, and in order to actually do that, we need to have answers to why and how we can believe in that hope in the first place. So I'm going to be honest. What I'm going to say tonight isn't going to take away your pain. It isn't going to make you feel better about the terrors that are going on in our world and the suffering and the injustice that people are experiencing. What I'm going to say does not justify wickedness that people express or the chaos of nature, but it might just give us a glimpse into a new perspective, one that points us to hope in something better. So I don't doubt that there are many different beliefs in this room tonight, and I just want to say off the top that if you believe something other than what I'm talking about tonight, that is totally okay, and you belong here no matter what. But I know that there are so many beliefs, and I want to suggest that often what we believe about pain and suffering 
is actually a direct result of what we believe about the meaning of life. So if you were to come from a Buddhist background, you might believe that the meaning of life is to end suffering. It's to break the cycle of reincarnation and end up in nirvana. So often Buddhists will believe that to end suffering is actually to detach from it. So evil is just an illusion and there's actually no problem of pain at all. If you come from a Hindu background, you might believe that the meaning of life is to achieve dharma, which means to be in the place where it is fully righteous and you've paid off your debt to the gods and to society. And so for, for the person with a Hindu background, they might say that evil and suffering is a result of karma. What goes around comes around and everything bad that happens in the world is a result of your own behavior. If you have adopted an atheist perspective, you might believe that there is actually no meaning of life or that the meaning of life is to be happy and content and successful, you know, have a family, get a job, retire early, have lots of money. And for that, they often atheists will say that an all-loving and powerful God cannot coexist with evil because evil is meaningless. And so many people arguing against God, they'll put it this way. If a good, perfectly loving, and all-powerful God exists, he would not allow evil to exist. Evil does exist, therefore God cannot exist. This is the most common argument amongst atheist scholars, but it's also actually the biggest question in the hearts of believers. As what we see in the world, as what we see going on, all the terrors and the own suffering in our own hearts and our own souls, is does, doesn't line up with the God that we know. And it's like I'm told that God is divinely good, and I'm told that he is perfectly loving, and I'm told that he is all-powerful, but I know that evil is too evident and suffering breaks up too many lives that I don't understand how the two can go together. If God was really good, wouldn't he want to take away my pain? If God was really loving, wouldn't he want to save the world from evil? If God was really all-powerful, wouldn't he just be able to snap his fingers and the world would just become perfect and be restored to perfection? Unless, and it is that one word, unless, that opens the door to believe that maybe there is another possible answer. You see, it could be said that God is so good he would not want evil to exist, and would have created a different world where everything is, everyone is perfectly happy unless that is not what he is ultimately after. So if you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to write this first argument down. A good God would not allow evil and suffering unless he has a greater purpose. God can be divinely good, but that doesn't mean that how we believe uh, he should act or how we believe that the world should be is how God intends it to. Because, well, I think that the majority of people in the Western world do have the idea that our life is to make us happy. It's to be successful. It's to do whatever we can for society and contribute. But ultimate, ultimately, our lives are for ourselves. But God had a different idea in mind. Think about it. What does God value more than a good and perfect world? He values relationship with us. The whole point of our existence is to be in relationship with him. In Jeremiah 24, 7, it says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. That is God's hope for our lives, 
that we may know him and that we may love him. But what is one thing that love requires? For any relationship to be true and, and to be real, it requires love between two people, that they are free to choose to love the person. We call this free will. So it's kind of like this, you know, in, in middle school, I don't actually know if this ever happened, but people talked about it. In middle school, if someone liked another person, they would write it in a note and pass it down because we were really immature back then. And so they would write in the note and they would say, you know, something like, um, do you like me or will you go out with me? And then below that, they would have two options, yes and a no. And so the person then would have to circle what option it was. Hope they're hoping for yes, they're praying for yes. Um, but they had the option of no, and then they would pass it back. And depending on what they said, the rest is uh, in the future or in the past. Um, so God, he could have done this. He could have written us a note, and he could have had, will you love me? And then he could have just had yes at the bottom. And no matter what we thought about God or wanted to think about God, we had to circle the yes and pass it back to him. But God doesn't do that. He gives us the option of having a yes or a no. And this is shown in Genesis 2. It's the first book of the Bible. And God had just finished creating the world. He created humanity. And the first recorded people, Adam and Eve, he says this to them. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. For there to be this command, there had to have been a way for Adam and Eve to then break the command, which you only have to read one chapter later to see that they did. They chose to follow their own desires, to follow what they wanted instead of God. Inherently, they chose to love themselves rather than to love God. And wherever there's a choice to love ourselves or love God, wherever there's a choice to choose good or to choose bad, there's always going to be the possibility of suffering. But if God is so good, why couldn't he have given us free will but also given us the limitation so that there aren't any war or there's no diseases or cancer or natural disasters? Why could he have allowed us to still choose but taken away all of that bad stuff? You see, the issue is that in, that in asking that question, we are asking God to take away one kind of evil but not another. You see, often what this means when we want God to give us free will but also take away suffering is that we really just want to rate sins. We want to tell God what sins are the worst ones, and we want him to then um, take away the person who's committing the greater sin's choice, but we still want to be able to choose. So it's like if we were to go to God and we were to say, you know, God, I really don't like the suffering going on in this world, so I want you to take away all the wars and the people who are murdering and, and raping women, and I want you to take away all the cancer, and I want you to take away all the chaos of nature. And so God says, okay, but, you know, in order to do that, I'm going to have to take away free will. And you say, yeah, yeah, God, whatever you need to do, just, just do it. I want you to do this. And so God goes to you, and he says, okay, so you're going to go, and you're going to break up with that girl you've been seeing because you've been sleeping with her, and you know that's, that's not what I want for your life, and it's just not a healthy relationship. And so you go, and you break up with the girl because, well, you don't actually have a choice, and you know, he's like, well, okay, I knew that God said that. I knew that that was wrong. Okay, fine, I can do that. But then God comes to you again, and he says, okay, now you're going to go and you're going to sell your car on Kijiji. Because when you bought it, it was really just to, to show off, and it was out of a place of greed. And that's not what I want for your life. 
So you just find your hand moving over to the computer and clicking and selling your card into Gigi, even though you didn't really want to. And then God comes back and he says, now you're going to go and you're going to blow up your computer. Because I know what you've been watching on Netflix, and you're watching all this stuff with people who, they're not living the life that I intended you to live, and it's, it's making you think things that I don't want you to think. And then after that, you're going to go across the street, and you're going to sign up to volunteer at that youth drop-in every night of the week. Because the friends that you've been hanging out with, you just, you drink too much, and then, you know, you're getting really crude and profane. And then after that, I need you to go and delete Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook because every time you're on there, you're just comparing yourself to other people and you aren't seeing yourself the way that I created you. And at this point, you may be going, okay, God, hold it. I wanted you to take away all the evil and the pain in the world, not my hobbies and my luxuries. But you see, to take away one kind of evil, you have to take them all. And what we are doing, we're getting mixed up because we want God to invade someone else's life, someone else's privacy. We want God to create a robot out of someone else, but we don't want him to do that out of us. We still want our free will, but we want him to take it away from other people. But you can't have it both ways. Going on to the second point, not only do we have freedom to make choices, but someone else has freedom to choose as well. You see, an all-powerful God would not allow evil and suffering to exist unless someone else also has control. God is all-powerful, but just like he gave humans the ability to self-determine and self-rule, he also gave spiritual beings the same choice. And honestly, the theology of spiritual beings is just um, too much for us to go into tonight, but basically, Christians believe that there's the enemy, and we call him Satan. And, and Satan, he was an angel of God, but because God gave the angels choice to obey God or not, Satan was full of pride, and he decided to disobey God. And so God, he then cast Satan down, and since the creation of the world, Satan has been dwelling on earth and trying the best he can to get back at God and take away God's people from him. And the Bible does not shy away from what um, authority Satan has over this earth. In John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world. And then in Ephesians 2, 2, Paul calls Satan um, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the Bible does not refer to him as prince or as a ruler as a way to give him honor, but actually just as a way to tell us of the power that Satan holds over this earth. And so not only is evil a result of humanity's own actions, but it's also a result of the enemy doing everything he can to win over God's people. And in Ephesians 6, 12, It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, I think we're so accustomed to the way that the enemy works in the world that we just don't even realize that there is actually a war going on. Often we think that the world is just this playground, this playground where we can do what we want, we can have fun, we can... We can have the career we want and, and the family we want. We can just do whatever we want that will make ourselves feel better. But the world is not a playground. It's a battleground. And there is a very, very real war going on between God and the enemy that is trying to win us over. But in this, we also need to remember that God is not the opposite of Satan. For something to be opposite, it needs to be equal to but on the further end. But Satan is not God's equal opponent. The Bible is so clear 
that God is going to be having victory in the end. And see, God's not like us. He does not, he is not um, oblivious to the enemy's strategies and do, does not ignore his schemes. But it just reminds me that God's knowledge is just so far beyond what we can even imagine. Which leads me to our last point. A loving God would not allow evil and suffering unless we don't truly comprehend his love. And I don't think, or I think this begins to get into the emotional problem of evil and suffering. Because it's not, to us, love is not intellectual. To us, love is not rational. To us, if we are not feeling the emotion of love, then it can't be real. And so we think that there's no way that someone who loves us would ever allow anything bad to happen to us unless God has more in store than what we can even think up on our own. There's this book in the first half of the Bible called Job. And Job, he's this man, he, was, he loved God, he was faithful to God, and he was incredibly blessed. And, the, and so Satan, he one day, he goes up to God and he says, you know, God, that guy Job over there, he really only loves you because you've given him everything he could ever want. But take away all that stuff, Job won't love you anymore. And so God gives Satan permission, and that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, but God gives Satan permission to go and take away all the things that he considers good in Job's life. And so Satan, he goes and, and he takes away all of his possessions and his home, and he destroys everything. And then he goes and he wipes out all of Job's children at, in one day. And then he goes and he takes away Job's health. If you ever had where it's like one thing after another, and it's like, what, how many times can I get hit? That was Job. It was just one thing after another until he was in bed with no family and no possessions and was not able to do anything. And so Job's friends, they come to him and you think, great, awesome, Job has friends at least and he has a supportive community, but no. Job's friends come and they're like, you know, Job, all of this that's happened to you, it's probably because you made God angry and so God's punishing you. And then to make it worse, one friend goes, you know, Job, all of this that's happening to you, it's actually because your children sinned and so now God is punishing you because of, of their sin. And then another person comes up to him and he says, Job, get over it. Just go and curse God because obviously God does not love you and God cannot exist. And Job, he is tired, he is confused, he is feeling physically ill, but also emotionally sick. And then God comes to him. And it says in Job 38, 1 to 7, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I love that. God speaks to him out of the storm. And he says, Who is that that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? God goes on to say, were you there when when I created daylight? Or do you know where the darkness resides? Do you know where the snow is kept and the hailstorms are kept? Have you ever told the lightning where to strike or created the path for the thunderstorm? 
God is pretty much saying, if you weren't there at creation, if you don't have answers to any of these things, why do you think that you can understand the way that I work? Because you see, we are trapped in time and space, and we have very limited intelligence. So where did we ever come up with this idea that our knowledge should measure up to that of God? Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Trust me, I totally understand the desire to want to know what's going on and want to know what's in God's heart. And I think that this just comes from a place we're discontent with the evil and the suffering going on in our world. And here's the thing, we're not supposed to be okay with it. We're not supposed to be okay with the evil that happens. We're not supposed to be okay with the suffering that takes place in our community. But we also have to know that while we are on this earth, although we should be having dialogue with God about this and, and asking him questions, we will never fully understand. Let me explain it like this. So imagine a three-year-old. And this three-year-old, she, she comes and she has jam on her face from her lunch, PB&J sandwich, and she comes with her teddy bear, and she just happens to, to see Justin Trudeau. And so she goes up to Justin Trudeau and she says, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, what is the state of the economy? And is Trudeau going to go like, well, kid, I'm actually so glad you asked. Let me explain it to you. And then he goes on to explain the influences of foundations of the economy and budget deficits and national versus consumer debt. And he goes on to talk about um, cost push inflation as it relates to aggregate supply and the loanable funds market and TSX and NAFTA. And yes, I had to Google that stuff because I didn't even know. Um, and he talks about the projection of where the economy is going in the future. Is he going to say that to this three-year-old? Or is he going to say, look, I could tell you, but you wouldn't even understand. You can't even tie your shoes. You mispronounce your name all the time. And whenever you count, you always miss seven and ten. He says, you cannot or you have no capacity for abject concepts or technical theories. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. And you see, Trudeau not telling this three-year-old about the state of the economy is not withholding information from her. But it's just understanding that this three-year-old has no frame of reference or capacity to even understand an answer if it was given. So if God is truly good and all-powerful and perfectly loving, then his knowledge must also be beyond what we can even imagine. Yet somehow we think that he's either withholding information from us or that he cannot coexist with anything bad. And the issue is that we start off with suffering, and then we ask the question about God. Instead of starting off with our belief about God, and then asking the questions about evil and suffering. So if we were to look at suffering through the lens of the meaning of our life, ask yourself, what do you believe the meaning of your life to be? If you believe that the meaning of your life is to be happy, to be successful, to go through the motions and end up with a lot of money and retired and living in Palm Springs or somewhere hot like a snowbird, then yeah, um, evil and suffering is meaningless and it does not achieve the goal of your life. But if the meaning of your life is to be in relationship with God and to become more like Christ, then that gives us an entirely different perspective. Maybe somehow God is using evil 
to show us his goodness. And near the end of Exodus, the first book of the Bible, there's this man named Joseph. And Joseph, he's betrayed by his brothers and he's sent into slavery. And then through a series of events, he ends up in prison. But then later on, he becomes one of the greatest rulers in Egypt. And Joseph, he gets this chance to then one day see his brothers again. And this is what he says to his brothers. He says, you know, what you did, you intended to harm me. You intended it for evil. You wanted to commit something bad. But God used it, and he intended it to do good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God doesn't like evil. God doesn't want bad things to happen to us, but instead he's like, okay, if that's happening, I'm going to use that, and I'm going to do something good, and I'm going to show you my goodness out of it. Maybe the pain that we've all experienced somehow makes us depend on God even more and listen to his voice. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. God shouts in our pain. Is it possible that God is drawing us closer to him through our pain and our disappointments? Maybe the pain that we endure is actually shaping us to become the people that God wants us to be and the people that can be, look most like Christ. I mean, think of all the people that you look up to in the world and think about some of the characteristics and their traits that they have. If you look back on their life, you'll probably begin to see that what they went through earlier in life, the things that they never wanted to live through, is actually what developed those characteristics and those traits. God talks about this in James 1. And, uh, and James writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I know that these quick explanations, they don't give all of the answers. And if you're walking out of here tonight not completely satisfied with what I've said, that's totally okay. Because everything I've said, when we're talking about evil and suffering, it cannot be answered in just 30 minutes because it's not this geometry problem that we can have a direct and, and full answer to but it is gut-wrenching it is heartbreaking and it's this issue that we all face but but where do we go from here what do we do if we are facing unbearable pain and feel just so overwhelmed by the injustice in this world or what do we do if we actually feel like we're in a good place but we know that one day a storm is going to hit. And I hate to be the one to break it to you, but one day a storm is going to hit. It happens to all of us, but we need to be prepared. What are we going to do? And the first thing is this. Continue to wonder. We are not the first people, and we will not be the last to seek answers to how God can allow evil and suffering to exist. But I want to remind you that having questions is not bad. If you are a part of Riverwood and you're reading through the Bible a day reading plan. We read the book of Habakkuk this week. And Habakkuk, he's this prophet, and he pretty much journals out his, his complaints to God and all these questions to God and then the answers that God gave back. And so Habakkuk, he is totally overwhelmed by the terrors that are going on in his community. And this is what he says to God. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? 
Why do you make me look at this injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk, he brings his complaints to God and he begs God for answers. And he tells God, give me an answer to this because he's so totally discontent with the evil going on around him. And God, he could be mad and be like, Habakkuk, why are you so distrusting of me? But he doesn't. God's answer is so gracious. And he says this in verse 5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. See, God knows that Habakkuk would not be able to handle the truth if God told him. Because God had this great plan for the future that, that no human would ever be able to comprehend. But one thing that I think we can take away from Habakkuk's complaints is that we can express questions and faith at the same time. Our questions do not mean that we lack faith, and they do not mean that we're distrusting of God to wish that we lived in a world where pain didn't exist. I actually believe that wanting to live in a world where there is no evil and suffering is actually just longing for the world that we were created for. And maybe without knowing it, it's actually longing to be closer to God who is one day going to bring that world into reality. Revelation 21.4, it talks about um, it talks about our future. And it says that one day God is going to wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more mourning because God is getting rid of the old and he's bringing in the new. Next, when you are facing trials and overcome by the evil in our world, continue to wait. After God gives Habakkuk the first answer to his complaint, Habakkuk comes back and he says, God, why is it that all these people that are doing wrong in the world seem to be having a great life, but all these people who are doing good in the world seem to just be constantly struggling with things and, and having so much suffering happen to them. But this is what Habakkuk says at the end of his complaint in Habakkuk 2, chapter, or 2 verse 1. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. In other words, he's saying, I'll wait and watch to see what God says, and I will think about the way that I will respond to his answer. Another version says, I will think about how I will respond when I am corrected. Habakkuk knew that God had greater plans. He knew that God has had an answer. So he positioned himself in a place where he was ready to receive that answer, and he was ready to hear what God had to say. And so we need to be positioning ourselves. And I think so much of that is being in God's word every day, seeing what God is actually wanting to say to us about evil, about suffering, the promises of our future, and digging deep into that. Positioning ourselves in a place where we can listen to God is praying, and not just praying at meals or, or you know, once, every once in a while, but it's praying consistently and starting to listen to God's voice and being able to hear God's voice against the world. Positioning ourselves in a place where we can hear God means coming to things like this and being in a Christian community where we can continue to support and encourage one, one another and speak truth into each other's lives. We need to be positioning ourselves to be ready for the answer that God is wanting to give us and the promise 
that is to come. But here's the thing, no matter what you believe about evil and suffering, if you believe that, that God is helping you fight through your pain, or if you believe that evil is just an illusion, if you believe in karma, or if you believe that, that evil and suffering in God just cannot exist, no matter what you believe, your circumstances are not going to change. Your circumstances, you can't choose those, but you can choose how you are going to respond. And I believe that while we are waiting, we should not be just lying low. We should not just be sitting quietly. We should not be just passive about it. But as we are waiting, we need to continue to worship. Not because of what you see with your eyes. Not because of what you feel from your circumstances. But because you know who God is. You know, after God answers Habakkuk a second time, Habakkuk, he, he gives these praises to God. And this is what it says in, in chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk was saying that no matter what his circumstances, no matter what was going on around him, no matter if he had nothing, that he was still going to continue to praise God. He couldn't choose his circumstances, but he could choose to position himself in a place ready to receive the promise that God was going to give him. And he was going to be praising God all the while. Because here is what Habakkuk knew. Worship isn't an emotion. Worship isn't when we just feel like it, when we're feeling good, when we're feeling God's presence. Worship is a choice. And he also knew that life wasn't a playground just to make himself feel better, but life was a battleground. And he had to choose his weapon. See, we are all at war here. We're at war with ourselves. We're at war with our own desires. We're at war with an enemy who is very real and trying to work in our lives. And worship, worship is our weapon. Worship is what we can use to defeat the enemy. Because there's power in what is spoken out loud. There is power in raising our voice above the noise of our pain. And there is power in joining together as a community to fight for one another. I just want to invite you to stand with me for a moment. Because I really want to pray with all of you tonight. Because as we talk about it, as we talk about some of the intellectual sides of this, I also know that in this room, pain is very real. I know that in this room, there are probably people who are f literally fighting for their lives. In this room, there are people who are just feeling overcome by brokenness right now, who are feeling rejected and are feeling lonely. In this room, there are people who are just questioning, where is God in this? I don't understand. There are people who are just so disappointed with how their lives are turning out. They can't see how God is going to be working in their future. There are people in this room right now that are confused, that don't know where their future is going to go, that are really discontent with their lives. And I just want to say, if that is you tonight, we are with you. We are here and we are fighting for you. So if that is you, if you are feeling like you are facing something right now that is just more than you can handle, that is more than yourself, do you want to just raise your hand? Because I really want to pray for you tonight. Because I know that 
that God wants to do something in this community. God wants to be fighting for you. So can we, we're just going to close our eyes. We're going to pray for you. God, I pray for every single person in this room right now who is just facing something bigger than they can handle. And God, we know that we can't understand why. We don't know why we experience this pain, why we experience suffering. We don't know why there is so much evil in this world. Yet we know we can trust in you. So God, I pray that you would just refresh our souls right now. I pray that you would just give us so much hope that as we leave this place, that we would not be leaving it discouraged or, or caught up in our pain, but that we would be leaving it with our chains broken, that we would be leaving it knowing that we have hope in you, God. And when you give us the courage to continue to praise you all the while, to continue to wonder and ask questions and wait patiently for the future that we know that you have promised us. We love you, Lord. Amen.